My hope is not in my own righteousness, not even my own sanctification, where I, I do hope, a sub-hope, to be growing in Christ and to look more like him here on this earth. That's what I'm called to do. And in fact, having a hope of heaven, as we will see, gives us a hope or, or a desire to be sanctified now. But I'm not trusting in my own righteousness. I'm not hoping in the righteousness that I have now, e even that produced by Christ, as far as my temporal, ongoing, daily righteousness. I am looking ahead to a day when I will one day have no sin. Hello and welcome back to Grace Maryville Weekly, a ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you join us at the beginning of the week, you know that Pastor Chris is in the middle of a message on another topic for tough time, this time being that of hope. He defined hope as the Holy Spirit-empowered attitude of joyful, peaceful, and confident expectation of the enjoyment of Christ and the internal inheritance he provides upon his return. Please grab your Bibles as Pastor Chris concludes this message on hope. It gives us great desire and great urgency to want to share Christ with our biological family because we won't see them outside then of this earth. That will be our only hope to see them now and never again. We have hope in looking ahead to knowing that we will spend an eternity with fellow believers, loving them. And it is, of course, what we love to do now. And it is why one of the primary, primary characteristics of a true believer is this kind of hope. A hope in Christ, yes, but it's hope in Christ and who cares about his people. A hope in Christ in relationship with him also means a hope to be with his people. And we begin that now. We long to be with one another. We have this great hope of, of coming together and enjoying each other. But in this world, we know that that could easily be gone. That people will die, that will pass out of our lives, that people will leave, that they will go. But in heaven, never. When he comes again, that will never happen again. No believer will ever be taken out of your life again. And you will spend eternity rejoicing in Christ with them. So hope of fellow saints, the hope of glory. The glory of God that we experience and bask in and rejoice in for all of eternity. Colossians 1.27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, not an eternal existence of playing a harp on a cloud, but an eternal existence of exalting in the glory of God and sharing in it. What an amazing thought. I mean, imagine the most, the most sumptuous feast with the greatest person you could possibly imagine, enjoying the, the benefits and blessings of that, some great party that you might think of even on this earth, heaven sharing in the glory of God is, is infinitely better and it's assured for all of eternity. It's the hope of glory. And that's why the difficulties of this time don't steal our hope because we're not hoping in having a good time now. Although the Lord provides those things. Isn't that amazing? So many of us have been able to have good times with our families, even during this crisis. What an amazing thing that believers have been granted this precious blessing, many of us, being able to spend a little bit more time with our family or enjoying each other, enjoying even to some degree, well, certainly the believers in our family and, and enjoying those things. Well, what a blessing for believers. But the bottom line is that that can be taken away. It's temporal. But this glory, these difficulties that we face will ultimately end up 
in an eternal glory that cannot be taken away. Romans 8.18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. We hope for that glory. We're not looking for the glory of what we can have now. A lot of what we have now is hard and difficult. We've got to have hard conversations with people. We have to work through difficult things. And it's not a lot of fun and games, a lot of what we live through on this earth. In fact, some people grow up in places where, I mean, I've, I've been to Nigeria where you've got a whole family, 10 people growing up in a 10 by 10 room, and they'll never see anything other than that. They wake up in the morning, they go out on the street, they beg for a living or try to sell little, little, little crackers to cars, or maybe they, they dig up pieces of metal out of the dirt and they try to, they, they collect all that together and try to sell it to people that will go recycle it all their lives, that's all they will have. And even if they come to know Christ, they won't have any more than that. It's not going to automatically make them rich like we here in the United States tend to think of. If you come to Christ, you're rich. That's because we're already rich. No, they're going to have no other hope except to look and remember what God will bring His glory. The glories of being with Him. This earth provides for them no hope. And maybe this coronavirus time has, has stolen from you some of your earthly hope. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. The things that you were hoping in here, the things that you were sure would provide you with your, with your joy here, if the Lord has taken those, maybe reduced those, maybe caused you to focus on that eternal hope, that is a good thing. In fact, death does that in every way. First Thessalonians talks about the fact that unbelievers have no hope. First Corinthians 4.13. We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. When Unbelievers have loved ones die, have loved ones die. There's no hope that person's gone. They have no confidence that they will ever see them again. It is the ending of a relationship forever in their minds. But for believers, it isn't. And there's this hope of the glory of God that we'll one day be with our fellow believers forever. And then there's the hope of righteousness. Can you imagine? Galatians 5 5. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. No more sin. No more lustful thoughts, no more arrogance, no more selfishness, no more greediness. Can you imagine what that would be like? We spend so much of our time wrestling with those things, our own pettiness, our own irritations, our own anger. We will never have to wrestle with those again, not one time. I long for that day. I long. My hope is not in my own righteousness, not even my own sanctification, where I, I do hope, a sub-hope, to be growing in Christ and to look more like Him here on this earth. That's what I'm called to do. And in fact, having a hope of heaven, as we will see, gives us a hope or, or a desire to be sanctified now. But I'm not trusting in my own righteousness. I'm not hoping in the righteousness that I have now, e- even that produced by Christ, as far as my temporal, ongoing, daily re- righteousness. I am looking ahead to a day when I will one day have no sin. And that hope of righteousness will be fully expressed through sin being burned away from my life. Well, those are the characteristics of hope. How, how do we pursue hope? How are we going to, to work our way in this world to stop hoping in the things that are here and press into the hope that we have in Christ? Well, first and foremost, you are going to have to pursue Christ through repentance and faith. Now, this is obvious to most of you. In fact, our passage said it really clearly. Verse 2, says, or verse 3, says we have been born again. God caused us to be born again to a living hope. If you're not born again, you have no living hope. But the reflection of being born again or, or the pursuit of that hope begins with the recognition of our sinfulness that we are without hope, that there's nothing we could ever do. 
There's, there's no one we could ever appeal to. There's no one's work that we could ever take on our behalf or, or try to apply to ourselves, none of our own work that we could do that would ever cause us to overcome our just and holy condemnation in the eyes of God. Nothing. So we have no hope. But that's the first thing we have to realize. In order to put hope in Christ, we have to realize we have none and there's no one else who's worthy, no other God, no other person, nothing in this world. So we must recognize our own wretchedness our own sinfulness, our own falling short of the glory of God, that sin that has caused us to deserve eternal hell, and we must trust in Christ alone. We must put our hope, our trust in Him, recognizing that He alone can make provision for our sin. As we do that, it is a reflection of the work of God in our hearts that He has wrought through the truths of the gospel that we have heard, and maybe even tonight. You've heard these truths of the gospel. You know you're a sinner. You know you deserve eternal hell. You've heard this over and over. You know the work of Christ, that he took the wrath of God on your behalf. You're aware of those things, but you have not trusted in him. Maybe tonight, as you think about the hope that is is found in him, and you recognize that you don't have that hope, you're putting your hope in all these other things. And every time something bad happens in your life, every time a difficult thing happens, you're bitter and angry and frustrated. And even though you say you're a Christian, you've got your hope in everything else. Tonight's the night to repent and believe. And as you repent and believe, you reflect the work of God having gone on in your heart to wash you clean, to have regenerated you, that you might have hope at all. We only enter into this kind of hope through the gateway of salvation, through the regeneration provided by the Spirit of God, through the teaching of the Word of God, the Gospel. The verse we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. And although you repent and believe, it is God that did that work. But he is calling to you now. He desires to do that work. He says if you call upon him, he saves you, he will save you. And so that's my first appeal, that if you desire to have true hope, you're going to need to have an actual trust in Christ. And maybe you can track down unbelief That is a fundamental unbelief, being an unbeliever by the fact that you, your hope is in everything else. And every time those things are taken from you, your life is over in your own mind. It's just, I'm done. And then then you have, before you trust in God, you have to have some new thing that you're hoping in. Then that brings you up out of your difficulty rather than trusting in the Lord in the midst of those difficult things and having your hope in him draw you towards his ultimate return. So salvation is the first pursuit of hope. We repent and believe. The next is, and this is, This is what we said for every one of our topics for tough times. What's the next thing that's going to come? Spiritual discipline. That is that we're not going to have hope if we aren't actively pursuing the things of God. It is in our hearts as believers. The Spirit of God brings it when He comes, but it has to be fanned into flame. Your hope will grow weak. You will begin to hope in other things if you do not carefully bring before your mind the person and work of Christ in the the form of spiritual discipline. 1 Timothy 4. It says, have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. Right? Don't sit around just discussing all the things the world believes in. That, that can include scientific theories, philosophical theories, conspiracy theories, all the stuff that's going on. How much time have you spent in the last six weeks looking at blog pages, looking on Facebook, at all the conspiracies that are out there? I'm not making any comment about how the truth of any of them. I don't care. The issue is, how much time have you spent on that as opposed to pouring your heart out in study of the word of God and pursuing worldly fables fit only for old women. You don't have to know those things. Sorry, you just don't. What you have to know is that 
God in his word has given you all that you need to have a hope in him which will last when these other things don't. Don't pursue worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, disciple yourself for the purpose or discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, that is to look more like Christ. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. Why? Because it's a hope for this world. I like to run. I went out running the other day. What's my hope? My hope is that I would eventually like, if at all possible, to break 18 minutes in my 5K. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I'm getting older faster than I'm getting faster. That's a problem. But that's a hope, and I'd love to do that. So I went out running because in this, you know, in, in this earthly sphere, I'm exercising so that I can accomplish an earthly goal. But when I die, all of that running... All of those 5Ks, no matter how fast I ever ran it, it's done. It's for this earth only. Those are earthly hopes. They're not wrong, but they're not complete. He says, bodily discipline's of some value. That is, it has, it, it provides some benefit for this world now. But spiritual discipline, godliness is profitable for all things because it holds promise, hope, for both the present life and the life to come. You do what you do now because you are hoping in what is coming. That's why you're disciplined now. And that very discipline drives you towards a greater understanding of that hope. It works together. You have a greater hope, so you discipline yourself for the things that are according to that hope. And as you do so, your hope grows. Study and meditation of the word, of course. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Join peace in believing. Believing what? Believing the truth of the word of God. You got to know it. Romans 15, 4. I think I've read this verse in just about every one of these topics. It's for whatever was written in earlier times, everything that was written was written to teach us so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You're not going to have hope if you don't read the Bible, if you don't know about Jesus and what he's done. If you don't look at the people who faithfully served him and see how God held their faith firm, people like Job, people like Abraham, people like Moses, people even like Samson, who at the very end, God held his faith firm, as weak as his life was, he trusts in the Lord at the end, or he exercises faith at the end. Because when we study the word of God, we have hope. You might wonder, why am I depressed? Why do I have these other hopes? Why am I bitter when one hope is taken away, when my relationship doesn't work out? And when my marriage isn't all that I hoped it would be. And when my job isn't anything like what I hoped it would be. And when this whole time has come crashing in on me and these last two months have taken from me all kinds of things that I hoped for. And in fact, as I look ahead, it looks like they're going to take more things. Well, how do you overcome that? By diving into the word of God. Are you surprised when you spend 15 minutes, five minutes in God's word three times a day and you lack hope? Or you have hope in the wrong things? Do you really think that that amount of time is going to provide you with the hope you need when you're immersed in the world, showing you their sub-hopes, showing you the things that they say you ought to have hope in, and you think you'll be able to combat that with five minutes, ten minutes a day, even a day, and yet you only spend maybe two or three days? Again, I know it's difficult. I wrestle to spend time in the Word as you do, but I have no excuse. When I'm lacking in hope, I'm lacking in the word. I'm lacking in pursuit of the word of God. Not just reading it, but studying it, meditating on it, hearing sermons about it. You will always lack hope when you lack a pursuit of the word of God. It is a spiritual equation that cannot be undone. I have people come into my office all the time. Well, I'm having this struggle and this struggle and this struggle, and, and they lack hope. 
And say, well, are you willing to dive into the Word of God? Our next, our next spiritual discipline is prayer. Are you willing to pray? Spend a significant amount of time. Not just bullet prayers that you're offering up to the Lord. That's great. But significant daily time, be it on your knees or anywhere else, where you are devoting it to seeking the Lord and working through your difficulty. Are you willing to do this? And almost none of them are. And they say they are, but then how did this week go? Well, I didn't. Well, how's your life going? Well, not so great. Well, of course, because that's what the Spirit of God uses. And again, I know this is hard. I'm not being condescending. It's hard for me, just as it is for you. But again, my hope comes from the same place yours does. My hope does not come from some kind of you know, magical aura of being a pastor or youth pastor. It, it, it isn't there because of my personality. The only way I have hope is when I dive into the Word and I see the truth of who God is. And I study and meditate and sing the truth of His Word as we did tonight. And as we love to do when we come together. That's another part of really the Word of God, I think, meditating on it is singing it and praising God with it. And that's also part of our fellowship with the saints. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As you recognize your hope is coming, we don't, we don't say, well, all right, let's not get together because Jesus is coming. So we'll just pursue our own. I mean, imagine this. We'll just pursue all our own thoughts and our own designs because, hey, I'm going to be with you forever anyway. You know, I think people, I think some believers or those that claim to be believers kind of think that way. Look, I'm going to have all of eternity to do that. So why would I spend so much time in church? And I mean, I'll, I'll get plenty of time with believers. I'm going to do my own thing now. That's not how real believers think. They love to be together. That's how they fan and to flame their hope. And you wonder why you get sucked off into other hopes when you only dabble in the church. When you're just kind of on the periphery of it, on the external parts of it, that won't bring you hope. You're pouring your life into others. You're seeing their hope focused on Christ and that focuses your hope there. When you're tempted to hope in your family and hope in your job and hope in your physical abilities and hope in your mental abilities and you watch other people going through incredibly difficult times and seeing them hope in the Lord, that fuels your hope for the return of Christ. And that's how you deepen in your own hope. And when you spend time with people who have that hope. When I worked at McDonald's, about six years when I was in, in high school and college, I think probably the primary means of witness was when I was going through difficult things. And by the Lord, then they would watch me. I worked at five nights a week, eight hours a day with these people, the same, pretty much the same crew, many of them over that six years or five year span when I was in Colorado. And they watched me go through difficult things and harsh things and trouble at school and all the difficulties of working at the job with difficult bosses. And I failed many times. But they knew and they could see that I had a hope that they didn't have. And they would come, and late at night, at 12 o'clock at night, they would come to the apartment that was right across from, from the McDonald's, and we would sit and talk for hours. Because I had hope, and they didn't. And they were able to see the reality. Well, seeing it in believers, we other believers, seeing it in one another is essential for us. And the world, as we'll see in just a minute, needs to see it in us as well. So these spiritual disciplines are essential for hope. Because you have to fix your eyes on Jesus. And that, that's what spiritual disciplines do. But I just want to remind you of this, that what you're doing in spiritual discipline is you're fixing your eyes on Jesus, which means what? You're thinking about him. You're considering his greatness. You're working your way through his work on your behalf. You're constantly recalling to mind the blessings that he has provided. You're considering the things that delight and please his heart. You're considering his example of how he went before you. You have to do this regularly. And again, that's what scripture does. That's what our songs do. 
That's what memorizing and meditating on the Word of God does. It brings Christ before your mind. You can't fix your eyes on Jesus unless you're constantly thinking about Jesus. That's what it means. It's not not occasionally fixing your gaze on Him. All throughout the day, Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? How are we going to have the hope that draws us on through endurance? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. Because you think about him and what he's done and, and, and who he's, what he's like his character and his nature, you ever increasingly are consumed with Jesus. This this is something that's so rare today. As people get older, unfortunately, even in the church, it seems like they get consumed with other things or consumed with retirement or consumed with their family or consumed, they're not consumed with Jesus. There was an older man in a, a church that I was at and he was one of the elders of the church and he's a godly man. And anytime he was, 60 or 70 when I was there. He would get up and whenever he would begin to speak of Jesus, he, he would begin to cry. Now, and you don't have to cry in order for you to be consumed with Jesus, but he wasn't making anything up. He was consumed with Jesus. And when he spoke of the beauties of Christ, he was moved to tears. Again, it might look different in different people, but where are the people who are consumed with Jesus, who have fixed their eyes on him, were consumed with so many other things? It's almost like that would be well, nobody's consumed. That'd be weird. It wouldn't be weird. We have to be totally consumed with who he is and what he's going to be. He's to be beautiful to us, and, and he is to be our, our constant thought. When you're constantly thinking of someone in that way, you can't help but be moved by the thought of being with him, fixing your eyes on Jesus. It's not just considering a few Bible verses. It's not just memorizing some scripture. That's even singing a few songs. It's being consumed with this person in work and by faith directing your heart that way. Because it doesn't happen naturally. You'll be consumed with everything else. Kind of consumed with Jesus. And we fix our eyes on him in order to cultivate this hope. So we, we pursue him in repentance and faith. We pursue him in spiritual discipline. We fix our eyes upon him. We persevere in trials. Fascinating verse in Romans 5. See, having hope enables us to persevere in trials. That's true. But also, perseverance in trials brings us greater hope. Romans 5 says, Through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we exalt in the hope of, glory, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Listen now, knowing that tribulation brings about proven character. Excuse me. Tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You see how that works. As we go through trials, our character matures and our hope in Christ grows ever stronger because we have seen his faithfulness in our temporal situation, knowing that he will draw us through to the end and our hope increases as we persevere in trials. Don't give up. Yes, your hope will draw you to not give up, but every time you don't give up and make it through a trial, your hope is stronger and greater and deeper because you placed it in Christ. See, when you bailed out of the trial because you put your hope in something else or you didn't make it all the way through because you, you didn't hope in the Lord Jesus, you're not strengthened as you could be. Perseverance in trials enables us to deepen in our hope because we recognize the goodness of God to draw us through. And then we're going to have to maintain an, an eternal perspective. 
Of course, this is true with hope because hope, are th- hope is that which has not happened. Hope is that which is coming. And that is that eternal perspective is to recognize that this earth is only a small piece of time, and really an infinitesimal fraction of the time we will actually live as believers. And so we live in light of what's coming, not in light of what's right now. 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light, affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's your hope, the eternal things. Everything else is fading. You're hoping in your body? Man, you reach about 52, my age, 60, 70. All of a sudden you're like, there's not much hope in my body. I mean, you put your hope in your sexual pleasure or those kinds of pleasures. You know what? Those things peter out. You can't pursue those all your life. Pretty soon they're done. Your work, your job, everything ends. Your hope has to be. The, the things, as, as everything else crumbles around you, then you, your hope is increasingly seen to be in the Lord Jesus. As you have that eternal perspective, we're not living for now, we're living for then. And what a blessing that I don't have to look to how well my body is functioning or how good my job is going, or what, what all my relationships are like, but I have the privilege of looking ahead to the Christ who will come for me. Well, how do we express this hope then? So that's how we pursue it. We pursue it by through repentance and faith. Then exercising our spiritual discipline in the word, in prayer, longing to be and spending time with the saints, fixing our eyes on Jesus, constantly bringing his person, his work, his character, his nature before you, thinking about it, living according to it persevering in trials, stepping through each one, hoping in him, and then growing in hope as you make it through each, and then maintaining that eternal perspective right now. You guys, your past two months in lockdown is nothing in comparison to eternity. What if, what if this pandemic goes on? What if it, it mutates, the coronavirus mutates, and all of a sudden we have a worse problem with maybe a 50% death rate, and we have to stand, spend the rest of our lives in some kind of quarantine? Will your life be over? No. Because even that, if it's another 50 years or 60 years, would only be a tiny fraction of your whole life. It doesn't determine your hope. Maybe you would get nothing you hoped for. You wouldn't get the marriage you wanted. You wouldn't end up with the careers that you wanted because now your career options are be so limited because there's so few things that you can actually do if something like that were to happen. It's a very small amount of time. You must keep that in mind if you were to have true hope. But it's a joy when we recognize that our hope is found in those things in the things of the Lord only. All right, expression of hope. What's it going to look like when we have this hope? Several things here. This is really by way of application. So I gave you, you know, here's how you pursue it. Well, what's it going to look like as it comes out in your life? If you have this hope, then you will have hope in diligent obedience. Diligent obedience. First Thessalonians 1.3, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. You see, when we have hope in Christ, then we do not quickly bail out of our obedience because we're looking for something else or we're disappointed because we didn't get what we wanted. We diligently obey him in an ongoing manner because our hope is not found in the temporal return for what we get. Well, my boss didn't give me this. My relationship didn't provide me this. So I'm going to stop working. My church was not all I expected. Nothing in it was like what I wanted. No, and hope will enable us to continue to work diligently. Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Hebrews 6.11. 
We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Diligent obedience reflects hope and builds hope. Hope in trials, as we've mentioned already, that when you go begin to go through a trial, if you have true biblical hope, you will look past the trial to the hope that, that remains for you or that is ahead for you in Christ. The crown of life that will come when you persevere through the trial and it takes you through the trial with joy. So if you have true hope, then tr- your trials can be seen as that which is those things which are actually preparing you to be with Jesus. True hope is exercised in holiness. Consider 1 John 3, 3. Everyone who has this hope, that is the hope of Christ's return, that we're to fix our hope on. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Guys, if he's coming for you and he's pure and holy and you're absolutely certain he's coming, then you are going to seek to be pure and holy so that you can honor him when he comes. It's not going to be like, well, I'll be holy when he gets here, so why bother now? Because when your bridegroom shows up, you want to look beautiful. It'd be like the bride saying, you know, I mean, the bridegroom's going to love me anyway. I mean, he'll take me to be with him regardless. So you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to you know, jump into the mud and, and, and you know, roll around in it before the, before the wedding day. I'm just going to, you know, just con- completely, you know, go, go to waste. We do all these things and then I'll show up on my wedding day and that'll be fine. She would only do that if she didn't care for the bridegroom. She would only do that if she had no true respect for the one that she was going to be married to. We will pursue obedience because of hope. Not because we have to. Not, not because we have pastors and youth pastors that, and parents and they better just better do that. It's because we long to look radiant for our bridegroom. And holiness does that. To the extent that you have a hope, your hope is fixed on his coming, you will pursue holiness because you are absolutely certain that he will show up. And you desire to look beautiful. I understand that that's Christ's work. I know that's his righteousness that was flowing out through us, but we are pursuing it. If we have this hope fixed on him, we purify ourselves. That is, we take his power to be holy as he is pure. This will, this hope will, you will know you have this hope when you give witness of it to others. First Peter 3.15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you for what? To give an account for the Hope that is in you. When you have great hope, you will want to tell others of that. As I mentioned, even when I was at McDonald's, when I'm out and about, and even in my own family, people go, why do you have hope? And I have the opportunity to testify to why. And I love, again, I fail, I make mistakes, I miss opportunities. Yes, but I love to talk about my hope because it's a real hope and it drives my life. It's the thing that directs me above all other things. And so I do want to tell people, not as fully or as passionately as I should with you know, starts and fits and failures, yes. But it is my passion to tell people my hope. And when people see the hope I have, they ask. Not always, but often. So we want to give an account for this great hope that is in us. And during a time like this, what a great time. You've, you've lost your job. You've lost your opportunities. You've lost your graduation. You've lost your, your wedding day. Why are you so hopeful? What's the matter with you? Because my hope isn't here. My hope isn't in those things. You lost your 401k. You lost all of your retirement savings and you were two years from retirement. How can you possibly be hopeful? Let me tell you about the Christ in whom my hope is found, not the stuff that he gave me. Because even that temporal money and the temporal relationships are nothing in comparison to what he will provide when I am with him. Oh, give people a hope 
a witness of the hope that is in you. And then lastly, there will be hope in our testimony, not just our testimony to unbelievers for the hope that is in us, but really in the overall testimony of our lives. Listen to Paul. I'll close with this verse. Philippians 1.20. Paul says, as he's in prison, not sure if he will be released, but hoping that he will, planning to be released, yet understanding that God can do what he wants, that his hope isn't in his release, it's in, in what God will do. Paul has one hope in prison, as it were. Here's what he says. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. A hope in Christ gives our life a hopeful testimony. Whether we live or whether we die, it is for our hope in Christ. And it is our greatest hope in this life that Christ will be honored and exalted through our testimony, the testimony of lives well lived, of deaths died well. You see, our world scratches and scrambles and, and does everything possible to avoid dying. Again, that's fine as far as it goes. But there's more important things than to just try to keep from dying. What the Apostle Paul says was, look, whether I live or die, what I want is that my life or my death would give testimony to the greatness and majesty of Jesus. So that in living it is Christ and in dying it is Christ. And that other people would know that. That if Christ took you from the earth today, that those around you would know that you delight in that because you're going to see him. And if he leaves you here to do his work, people would know that you delight in that because you can give testimony to him for a little bit longer. This is the testimony of hope that whether you live or die, it is all for Christ. And the worst thing in the world, our hopes would be dashed to pieces if somehow our living or dying didn't reflect Jesus well. Our hope is in him. And our hope is that people would see him in us so that they might turn to him as their one and only hope. So as you consider these things tonight, are you pursuing hope? Have you come to know Christ? Are you in your spiritual disciplines, not simply pursuing, a, you know, a checking off a list, but building your hope? Are, is your life, does it express these attitudes, these actions of hope? And if it doesn't, tonight's the night to, to wonder, all right, am I really being driven by a true hope in Christ? Or where is my hope in Him? Where has it been trampled by these sub-hopes, these expectations that are fine, the hope to do this and the hope to do that and go here and go there, all those are fine, but they can't drive your life. So take some stock tonight. Don't just blow by this message. In your small groups and those that, you know, the adults that are listening tonight, take some time before you go to bed tonight. Where is your hope found? Think through these things and put in place the pieces in your life which will cultivate and fan into flame this hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for hope that we do, are not like the world, that we do not grieve. We don't live in this world depressed and grieving when loved ones die, when things are difficult because we have no hope, Lord, we rejoice because we have hope. Even in death, there, for, for the believer, there's a rejoicing because we know that we will be with you and that those that went to be with you, we will see again. Lord, help us to have a true hope. And help us as a, a church, as a youth group, to be consumed with Christ that we might give testimony to this hope and that all of our hope would be found in the Lord Jesus. In your precious name, amen.
Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that's gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace Community Church, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages, not only presented by Presta Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, our youth ministry, and our college age ministry. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again on Monday when we will begin another series of messages from God's Word.